this is episode two and I'm Kat Rapper Rapper. Thank you for tuning back in and if you're new here, thank you for tuning in anyway. I intended to post a new article and podcast in February, but for those that follow and subscribe, even though I said I didn't do that, I was actually preparing my first physical copy of Deepfield, which I sold at the Festival of the Copywriter which is a zine festival that happens every year in Melbourne and it's run by the Sticky Institute. It was really fun to be there. I met a lot of really cool zine makers. People are just so creative and how people can create stories of niches always amazes me. But I also met a lot of really cool punters there and sold quite a few copies of Deepfield. The people that I spoke to, they, well, the majority of people that bought Deepfield didn't actually work in advertising or media. So it's quite interesting. They were just consumers of media and they were acutely aware of the impact that it has on their lives, particularly social media. They, a lot of the people that I spoke to sort of saw it as this necessary evil. They don't want to be stuck in that addictive algorithm. They don't want to be stuck in this surveillance capitalism but it's also kind of the way that they find new people to hang out with, that they connect and find community, particularly during the pandemic. And it's also a way for them to be able to, I guess, buy the things that they need sometimes when they can't get to the shops or they're not living around stores where they're able to get their things. So it was quite interesting to hear that people are aware of, I guess, the harms of media when not done uh, for the public, in interest of the public but also how they see media as this has the potential, particularly digital, to be a very good space to help society thrive, which is, I guess, the purpose of Deepfield. So really good to chat to everybody. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Sticky Institute. They are a zine institution that's been around in Melbourne since 2001. They used to have a store in the Campbell Arcade, which was that tunnel that ran from all the Flinders Street train station platforms out to DeGrade Street in Melbourne. And they sold all the zines there. And across from them was Wax Museum Records, which was a really cool record store that had lots of really rare titles, but also interesting music and culture books in there as well. So just having these two stores across from each other in that, I don't know, really dark, underground pass in Flinders Street was just so Melbourne if you know what I mean it was just iconic having those two there but obviously we are upgrading all of our train networks around now and the tunnels and so Siki Institute has actually moved into the Nicholson building which is on Swanson Street they are on level eight if you've never been in there I highly recommend you go not just to Sticky Institute but also just check out the Nicholson building it's such a beautiful art deco space that we have in Melbourne and there's lots of artist spaces in there and lots of really niche craft creator stores in there too but also go to Sticky Institute um, and find some copies of some copies of Deepfield in there and also a wide range of scenes from Melbourne and Australia in there too and then also shout out to Wax Museum Records. They have moved around 20, 50 metres from where they were. They're on Blinder Street in the basement next to where all the construction is happening. So definitely check them out too. I also just want to give a shout out to everybody that um, sent me really kind words after my first podcast in January and about the article that I wrote as well. I feel really humbled to have 
such a supportive network around me and also to have met and spoke to a lot of new people. There was one little dude from Switzerland that I ended up speaking to that stumbled across, across the podcast and he had some really pointy questions around, um, I guess, why Australians drink so much, which was a very fair observation, I think, from him. I couldn't answer that, but um, definitely not untrue. And yeah, so thank everyone for your support. And I hope you like this next iteration of Deep Field, or this next episode, which I have called Fragments of Actual Life. And I posed the question in this one, are we living the best years of our lives or are we just trying to capture them? So I do just wanna give a warning before I start this episode. Some of the music videos that I have linked in the article that accompanies this. So if you go to deepfield.substack.com, you can subscribe or you can just read the um, episode article. Um, I've linked a lot of content in there about some of the things I talk about in here. Some of those links to the music videos contain offensive language in those videos and also adult scenes. So please don't feel compelled to watch them if you don't want to. The article and this episode will make sense without that context. And so now I will begin the article. Some Saturday mornings I get up early enough to watch Rage on ABC. I wake up expecting to see audiovisual experiments from BCA over a doorway drone, but instead I get Miley Cyrus humping the ground in flowers, which is you know, different strokes for different folks, but um, <laughs> every Saturday it's on. And this is what I get for waking up to watch Rage rather than staying up to watch it. Rage was and was an institution when there was no Spotify. It still is an institution, but in particular, I want to talk about how it was an institution when there was no Spotify, when there was no YouTube, and when there was no TikTok. Rage has no algorithm, so it does not commercialize the personal experience whatsoever. It's just a bunch of producers that need to fill six hours of music video programming every weekend from midnight to 6 a.m. The viewing experience is marked by randomness, and audiences often stick around for one more song in search of new music that they may enjoy. So the music spans from, you could have something from the 70s sitting next to something from today, or, and there's lots of different levels of fame and there's also lots of genres. It's just a mishmash of video programming. And to talk about the levels of fames, there was this episode of John Safran's Music Jamboree, which was such a good show when it was out. It was out in 2002 on SBS and it was a music documentary series made by John Safran about the Australian music industry. But he showed how easy it was to get a video into the Rage playlist. Safran strapped a camcorder to his dog and he pressed record and let his dog run around on Owlwood Beach and it turned into a video over a joke dance track that he had made. But actually when you listen to that dance track now, it's pretty good. <laughs> but um, that video was turned into a VHS and he put it in the post box. And anyway, it made it onto Rage a couple of weeks later. So that's how easy it was to get a video on, but it also speaks to the exploration that the ABC and the Rage producers were willing to have during that, that era. It was just, you know, we just want to play music and it might be good for some, which I love. 
But I do want to take you back to the winter of 2003. It was 1am and I had fallen asleep in front of the laundry heater in my childhood home. And that was a brown Vulcan wall gas heater. If you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you are not allowed to have those heaters in your homes anymore. I think they've been removed out of all government housing because they're just so dangerous. But anyway, I grew up um, just sitting in front of one of them. <laughs> but I woke up to Apex Twins Window Licker, which was made in 1999. It was playing on Rage at the time. It was 10 minutes and 42 seconds of disturbing weirdness that truly haunted me as a teenager, but also I was constantly thinking about it. It was etched into my brain just how weird and creepy it was. But lo and behold, I am who I am. Embrace me for what I am. <laughs> it was really interesting to me. I became obsessed with it. And I also became obsessed with the UK acid dance scene. I would go to the Frankston Library and I would read old issues of The Face, which was this UK uh, culture, music, lifestyle magazine out at the time. Um, and so I would read them and I would borrow all the CDs from the genre. So I'd borrow like, I guess, The Prodigy and Uncle and also Apex Twin as well. And I would just try and transport my like brain back to the UK in the 90s. <laughs> I obviously never lived those days, but I really longed for those days to come back. I saw them as so experimental and just allowing people to be the true free versions of themselves in an underground tunnel with a green light and just weird music. If you've ever listened to Apex Twin, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You'll have these really like ambient, calming sounds on one track, and the next one will just go into like this noise, which sounds like it's pushing the breaking down. So it's quite eclectic, but I don't know, worth the listen if you ever wanted to. Um, but I, yeah, never lived those days, but I longed for them to come back. I really wanted this rave culture while I was young. But at the same time, you know, I was young. My mum had put a ban on roll-ups in the house, so it was just very different ends of the spectrum for me and my what I wanted and what I was living. <laughs> um, but pull forward to today and there is a lot of chatter about Gen Z's love for nostalgia. I wrote about the topic last year, noting that nostalgia has evolved from a personal experience to a shared one, and that's all thanks to social media. As a result, what may be fleeting for one individual, so this feeling or memory of nostalgia that you have becomes permanent for their audience because they share it and it lives in this social media space. So it's fragmented everywhere and then nostalgia lives in a feed photo or a short video or in a tweet or a screenshot of message. It's ready to be revisited when the present and future just constantly seems heavy for Gen Z. You know, we often hear reports that they have climate anxiety or, you know, the fact that they're, they're growing up in an age where they're probably never going to be able to buy a home. There's been recession. There's been pandemics. It's been quite tough for them. So their present and their future constantly seems very heavy. And after all, what we are nostalgic for is part of our identity. I linked a video or a TikTok of some of the nostalgic identity things that are happening in that sphere, lots of Y2K fashion, um, particularly how you, 
how to achieve that Y2K style. So definitely check out the article if you wanted to deep dive into some of them. But now I want to talk about Fred again, who is a London DJ that is immensely popular with Gen Z. And he recently sold out a secret Melbourne show in just 3.4 seconds. So this is how popular this guy is. He was out here um, last month touring with Laneway Festival. He has a album trilogy, which is called Actual Life. And it chronicles his personal experiences over the last three years, particularly that COVID period that we we're all in, and reflects distinct phases of that period. So disconnection, limited connection or isolation, and then that reconnection to when we were all able to go out again, but we kind of like weren't sure if we should, or we felt a little bit of social anxiety. And he displays all this through these really intimate voice recordings of him and his friends, um, recordings from Instagram clips, his favorite songs, and then he mashes it all into these really crisp club productions that he's made. I've linked a video um, of his video called Angie, I've Been Lost. This video is a really good, I guess, Fred Again 101, if you ever wanted to watch it to just see what I'm talking about. It's all these fragments of his life and very personalized. And I think that is why Gen Z really love it because they're sort of experiencing life in the same way, just in all these fragments. They're always very in touch with their emotions and they're not afraid to share how they feel. And, you know, they're sort of drifting in and out of social circles, going to work, feeling like they have to perform, but also feeling like, you know, they just want to live their life. And so I think this video really encaptures that. But many of us experience life in a similar way to Fred again, by listening to music and using audio to enhance our daily commutes. So although hundreds of people walk from Flinders Street Station to South Bank every day, each journey is very unique due to the music we listen to, the messages we read, the videos we watch, and the memories we attach to them as we're walking along these routes. In fact, 33% of Australians stream music through their headphones daily, and this really indicates that while these experiences occur in isolation within our headphones, the behaviour is widespread. I would say this happened to me at Miami International Airport back in 2011. My flight to New York was cancelled, so I lay on the ground at my gate and just waited around for the next one. I listened to an album to pass the time, and I feel quite cliche and embarrassed to say this, but it was Bonnevere's self-titled album, and that was quite big at the time and just very in the feels for millennials. But I, was, I lay on the ground and I listened to that album, and people were walking past, and I just watched people eat their Dunkin' Donuts while I was listening to Holocene, which is quite a beautiful and slow song, and it reminded me of how just beautifully basic this life can be. Um, it was quite good, actually. I always remember that moment distinctly. I've included in the article a picture of Ben Affleck just smashing down Dunkin' Donuts because it really shows that it's just a beautiful, basic thing in this life. <laughs> but anyway, um, it wouldn't be 2023 if this didn't happen on TikTok. And it wouldn't be TikTok if this phenomenon didn't have its own aesthetic. So never fear, it's edgy as fuck, it's called hashtag core core. So C-O-R-E, C-O-R-E. With over 1.3 billion views at the time of me writing this on the hashtag, 
Core Core is a video editing style that brings together movie clips, images, and phone-filled moments to conjure up a mood. Its modus operandi is to make an audience that is so numb from scrolling actually be able to feel something. It's trying to get people to pay attention. It's trying to get people to do a thumb-stopping moment. It's all the things that we as marketers <laughs> try to gain and young audiences have tried to make it themselves. So Gen Z reportedly spends around 95 minutes a day on TikTok. And with each video lasting around 40 seconds on average, we composite that they're probably watching around 121 different videos a day, and that is just on that app alone. So CoreCore's mission is very noble and it wants to cut through with this dignity. And of course, Apex Twins track QKTHR is the main track that is used for CoreCore. So it just proves my point that everything starts and everything ends with Apex Twin. So I've included some examples of Core Core in the article if you wanted to look at that. But in particular, there is an Australian version of Core Core, which is also dubbed by Australians as Niche Talk. Remember how earlier I was talking about how Rage sort of made this very unique, I guess, generation of Australians that would get up and watch these um, videos and it could be anything and it sort of influenced, I guess, all of our individuality. So Australian core core tries to do that as well and um, speaks to this very niche sort of culture that we have here and expresses our dystopian dream by lamenting the Australian battler. Every, behind every rental or in interest rate increase and behind every, dollar, every $7.20 bag of red rock deli chips, which is no joke, I saw it on Reddit and it was in a Coles, like it wasn't even in a Foodworks or an IGA, it was $7.20 a bag in Coles. But behind all that is just a bloke that's just trying to work and knock off with his mates. So I've included some content and some videos around Australian core core on Niche Talk showing that as well. So while our social feeds are curated for attention, Core Core is curated for perspective. It critiques the systems that have made us this way, while at the same time feeding into them. So this also taps into sort of these conversations that I was having at the Zine Festival as well, which is audiences and consumers of media and how they feel. And for Australian Core Core, when we're talking about the middle class, you'll know a lot of these videos that I've included, they include the middle class and they include, include the average Aussie battler, the bloke, but they sort of make a joke around it. It's sort of like this brown cardigan-esque cardigan kind of joke around how weird we are, but also how average we are and we potentially being held down by corruption in government. And so we kind of make a joke around it. We make a joke around the loss of the middle class. And that's basically because of this Australian thing that if you aren't laughing, you're crying. So it's just better to laugh. And the fragmented content in these videos mimics how anyone that grew up using social media views the lives of others. It's also how Fred again creates his music and his videos. And I even go as far to say that it is similar to the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, how there's just multiple verses happening and there's everything is chaotic and they have so many montage scenes in there that are similar to, I guess, how Gen Z are experiencing life as they scroll through their phones. It's just bang, 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 bang. Emotion, emotion, emotion. 
visual imagery, visual imagery, but you can't feel any of it because it's going so fast. No feeling is complete. Moments exist in isolation amongst a constant stream of other moments. What is important to us exists among what is important to others. A baby's first birthday is streaming next to an Aperol spritz which is being clinked, which is streaming next to a guy snorting BB through his nose. Everything is nothing when you're consuming the lives of others like this. If you go even go into your stories and you're just like flicking through your stories on Instagram, this is how it all plays out. Everything that we're connected to is essentially collapsed into these 15 second videos and we just don't have any time to really reflect and think about these things. It's just one and the other and the other and on to the next. So the more we lean into this, this kind of everything means nothing because it's all just part of this digital way of displaying ourselves, the more we lean into it, the lonelier we feel and the more isolated we become. In order to feel connected, people are compelled to produce content. It creates a sense of security. So if we're all creating content and we're all posting it, then, you know, at least we're showing that we're doing something. We're not as alone as we actually feel. Everybody's doing this. And it kind of just creates this thing of, you know, we are feeling alone, but together, but at least we're doing something. It begs the question, though, are we living the best years of our lives or are we just trying to capture them? I've included a video um, from TikTok called Girls Night Out in Sydney, but there's so many videos like this that I've seen on Instagram and TikTok, and it's people going out just making a montage of their night, but they must have their camera out constantly filming everything that's happening at these events that they're going to. And I just really, I think it just begs the question, like, are you actually living that event or you're actually thinking about how is this going to look good in this 30 second video that I'm going to create about the night? Are you letting the night sort of run its course or are you designing how that night will look like for an audience? I think it's something to really think about and I often think about it when I see people doing this in real life and I wonder what the payoff is. But as I round off this article and I round off this podcast, I acknowledge that core core is actually nothing new. This feeling of everything and nothing has been around since anyone ever hit adolescence. We want to want things. And I read this really great quote from Matt Klein this week, who is another Substack writer. He's also, he works at Reddit. I forgot his title, but he's quite high up and he's just really good at like insights and finding trends and turning them into like what they mean for culture and for people. But he said, we just want to want things. And I think that is quite true. So just cast your mind back, if you are my age, I guess, or older, cast your mind back to that broody teenage guy in American Beauty that filmed a plastic bag floating around. That's what Korkor is. Like he says when he's showing Thora Birch that video of this bag, that video is a poor excuse, I know but it helps me remember. I need to remember. So I just want to rest on that because I think that even encapsulates how people are just so desensitized that unless they film it, they won't remember. But waking up to rage at 1am hits totally different to scrolling in bed at 1am. 
because rage ends at six, the internet does not. And anyway, I wonder what all of this sort of diatribe that I've gone on would sound like with window liquor over the top of it. So thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Build and I will see you next month. But make sure that if you do like this, you can um, subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to the article emails at deepfield.substack.com. And yeah, hit me up on email um, if you want to discuss the points that I made today. But thank you very much for following.